Can I persuade you to join us for a drink? It's a tradition. Here, here. Jaja, call me my main man. Quickly, before the separatists attack, get into the escape pod. Hey, this is escape. Then where the pod? Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod, and uh, we've got a very special guest on the show today, actually two in fact, uh, very good friends of mine, and uh, one of them is probably our most avid listener on the face of the planet, uh, or should I say in the, the face of the galaxy, as we're uh, here in the Escape Pod with our co-host uh, Blake, and uh, we got a look back at the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, and a look forward ahead at what's uh, around the corner, as well as uh, five things our favorite things from each of the prequels. Let's get into it. Another happy landing. All right, that might be the last time we hear the uh, the, the the John Williams theme of Obi Wan Kenobi at the the start of this podcast. That is, unless we get a spinoff for season two. But uh, welcome yeah, back to the two. show. Come season on, <laughs> Reva, Star Wars, Reva, Star Wars story. <laughs> Did they uh, rename it that? I could see them doing a spinoff, like a Reva series. Yeah, right? so she lives at the there. end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see that happening. It was a last minute call, I think, on the 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 uh, re-edits in the scripts. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk I can about see that. that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah, we'll get into it. Um, oh, joining us on the show is uh, Ellen and Ben. Welcome to the Star Wars Escape Pod. Thank you so much. Thank you back. Yeah, uh, and Ellen's been uh, our, our number one listener for uh, for ages now. <laughs> Yeah, recently. I've just always are binging Star Wars Escape Pod. Always. always. Always binging. Yeah, we need we need a new section. I was about to say this before we started the recording, but uh, we, we need a section where, where every week Ellen calls in with like a few Star Wars <laughs> questions and uh, we can we can call it like questions with Ellen or something like that. Oh, I'm <laughs> you know, so honestly, honestly, any question, usually, usually any question kind of gets a five minute discussion going. So, uh, you know, for, for anyone at home listening, uh, there is a link in the description of the podcast and you can uh, drop a uh, voicemail at our speak pipe address or you can just email in a voice recording if that's easier. So it's always welcome. Um, yeah, we got uh, we got to look back at uh, Obi Wan Kenobi because uh, that show recently wrapped up, and um, it is uh, it, it's it's been you know dominating headlines and and uh, magazine uh, covers and and everything like that. And um, you know, being uh, uh, Ben and uh, you know Ellen, of course, we you didn't um, uh, join us for in for any of the reviews or after shows that that we had going on. So this is a great opportunity for me to. Uh, for us to to hear uh, what you guys thought of the show, um, so any any thoughts on Obi Wan Kenobi? I mean, just like have at it. The mic is yours, kind of thing. And go. <laughs> I would say it was surprising how much it felt like the prequels. I was like, after the sequels coming out and they're re ramping the prequels, I was very concerned that it was just going to feel like the sequels, but they're trying to 
aged them and make them in the past. And I was surprised how much it felt like Revenge of the Sith just ended and it went straight into this. Yeah. That's a valid point because it, it has felt like they've been avoiding the prequel era for like a decade now. Um, <laughs> I mean, they did they did do the bad bad, which ties in pretty hard. I think for me, I thought it got better as it went on. Um, I was, I was pretty mixed on the first episode. Um, I, I, I the, would have been better if you saw Obi Wan chopping fish and stealing it one more time. Honestly, what really got me was when um, was when Leia was outrunning the bounty hunter, and. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I used to, I did track and field the long distance growing up and I used to coach, um, little, little kids. And it was like more coaching kind of like, Hey, run around. They'd be like high jump. And they'd run. I was in charge of helping them with running. So I'd run like, you know, games where we practice running. And let me tell you how slow they are compared like almost any adult could outrun a 10 year old. And I was like, listen, I get it. She's, she's good. And she's an adventurous kid. But if you're telling me a paid bounty hunter cannot immediately catch a 10-year-old, I was about to be furious. And my usual policy in, in shows is, like, if it's if it actually affects the plot, it's I, I cared about it a lot. And there's a part where she yells help, and, like, the guard comes. I was like, if the guard saves her, I'm actually going to lose my mind. Like, if this is about how, like, there's a threat and they put her on lockdown or something, I'm like, there's no way a bounty hunter can't catch a 10-year-old alone in the forest. That's absolutely mind-boggling. Anyway, but then they got caught in the end. I was like, okay, cool. She ran around for a couple seconds, whatever. So it sounds um, like you you share some gripes with uh, a few of our um, um, of our uh, uh, voices on the show when we started talking about the chase scenes. I forget who was there. It was definitely Phil and and uh, yeah, maybe, I know yeah. Phil was talking about this. Yeah, yeah, I know Phil had yeah, some gripes with chase that. scenes. They, they just can't seem to get the chase scenes correct. You know, like in Boca Boba, the but, speeder chase, and uh, they just always feel yeah. a bit slow or lame or something like that. Uh, I, thought the, I thought the one with Obi-Wan and, uh, like, the one in, um, I forgot what planet they're at. Um, oh, that one was a lot better. Where's the, what? The rooftop. The rooftop chasing, right? Yeah, with yeah, Riva? the rooftop yeah. chasing was, was way better. Um, and I thought, I was like, I like that. I think for me, I was just like, I feel like they just tried, they tried to force me to be like, look how cool Leia was as a kid. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't buy it. Or like, yeah, like she gets kidnapped and she's like, I don't know if I want to go home. And I was like, what? <laughs> Who's like, man, I just got kidnapped. I don't know yet. Like, yeah, maybe you have a little bit, like your parents love you. You have like everything. Like, yes, maybe you have like the perfect life and you have to go to some sit down dinners you don't want to go to. But you were literally just kidnapped and nearly killed. And now you're like, ah, you know what? That's might be better than going home. <laughs> um, so I think that was like, okay. But I think toward like they kind of flushed out her character a lot more, um, and like with every passing episode, I thought they got more and more like serious. I think what I was a little worried, it just felt a little bit like, look, all the characters are always the best at everything, and except for Obi Wan who was struggling, but it felt like they just tried to put too much into a ten year old. And man, kids are freaking stupid. And, were they trying to show that she was force sensitive though like look she's like anakin's kid like that's why she can outrun is like she knows the force even though she doesn't realize yeah maybe i don't know if he's maybe but like a 10 year old and even then like force sensitive people should like still have a trouble against a bounty hunter i think one who's had no training is not aware of the force um has no weapon 
and has 10 year old freaking little legs. Yeah. Should, these guys are paid. These here, are paid here, here's criminals. the other, here's the other thing to consider. They're when not I, very good paid criminals. R- right. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was just about to bring that up because, because as you're explaining this to me, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting on board here, but, but, but the one thing that comes to mind is, uh, the actor that, that I know, I know when I brought this up, um, uh, I referenced the actor who played needles from back to the future. And, uh, Needles is a bit of a dim-witted kind of kind of character, you know. He's not, he's not the smartest cookie on the block, and uh, I, I I always thought to myself, well, maybe they got him, um, you know, on on purpose for some reason. He's a great he's a great actor at playing like what he does, right? So maybe after hearing what you just said, it's possible maybe that was the intention. Is they're not very good at what they do, right? Like I mean, this is a a Sith Inquisitor who may not know a whole lot about the underworld. And might not really have a whole lot of currency to just expend on anything, right? Like she's a a slave to the Inquisitorius, essentially. So maybe she doesn't really know what she's doing. She just comes across the first flea that she can find and go like, "Hey, you know what? You're a bounty hunter. You can track down this kid. Uh, it's no big deal. It's a ten year old kid. You know, you got this, right?" And then they just totally botch the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she doesn't strike me as that good. And here's the thing: is like I, it would take a lot for someone to. Uh, to lose to a 10 year old in the race. And um, I just, that part, but here's the thing is I didn't in the end care because it wasn't plot important. If they caught her immediately, or if there was a 30, 40 second where it shows that, I think they're just trying to show that she is adventurous and athletic and she puts up a fight and she's a spunky kid. And I'm like, whatever they showed that. Um, I think that it should have been more Dennis the Menacey. Like she should have had like traps and stuff in the forest that she could like use to maybe because then you could buy it, right? Like she pre-planned because she was already out in the forest all the time. Right. Yeah. Maybe she had a play, like a playhouse out there. She was able to get up into or something. Yeah. Like slingshot into the weeds, though. Like that wasn't. This is kind of in the weeds. First episode, I was a little bit more like unsure about it. And there's a couple other things where I was like, ah, this is kind of weird. Like I thought Rebel was like. Like when she started threatening Owen, I was like, she has no lead on this guy. And she's just randomly picking people out. Like this feels like randomly aggressive and sort of target. Like I'm okay with like a very aggressive, but I think just like, I preferred it when she was more targeted toward the end. And she's like, I'm doing this because I know you're close to someone. Instead of just like, ah, random Tatooine person. I might just kill. Hey, Oh, it just felt weird. And I think toward the end, um, Reva got more menacing. Um, I thought everyone kind of like, Kind of did well. Um, and so, yeah, I thought toward, as every episode went on, and from what I've talked to, I have a couple of friends who watched it, and they're like, what do you think of the first episode? And they're like, oh, so the first episode was decent, not crazy. I'm like, it, it gets better to, like, a good show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that was the definitely first- the general yeah. consensus, for sure, is that the show improved as uh, the episodes kind of went on and got, got more rich, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And oh, I also started to feel like who we knew. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was going to be the Reva show for the first while, and then kind of like toward the last two, three episodes, it definitely became the Anakin Darth, uh, Anakin Obi Wan show, what, um, which what, I also really like. Yeah, what was you guys' um, um, uh, uh, thoughts on the whole uh, kind of revisiting the brotherhood of of these two characters? I mean, I think it's arguably the strongest element of probably the prequels, and I think like. There's this, or there's a reason why I feel like that the emotional climax of episode three is probably like this. I would say the strongest emotional climax that Star Wars has up there with. I think it's more than I'm. A, I am your father, but maybe that's just because everyone knew that. Everyone knows that in our generation before they see it. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that I really liked it personally. Yeah, I liked that they explored more. 
it felt a little bit more of like Obi-Wan being a father to Anakin, um, especially with the reflection of having Leia as part of the story the entire time. So I think that was an interesting thing to look at because it's in, I've always found it interesting in the second film, how Anakin refers to Obi-Wan as a father, but Obi-Wan refers to Anakin as a brother. Mm -hmm. And I thought this show really looked at Obi-Wan being Anakin's father um in an interesting way like it wasn't straight up but it like definitely reflected it and i yeah the emotional impact of just even them at like when they see each other in the gravel pit for the first time i was like oh my gosh like this is crazy Mm -hmm. and Oh, yeah, it was so good. Yeah, you're, you're so right because, uh, you know, that, that's very accurate because in Attack of the Clones, uh, there is that sort of father kind of son thing that, that uh, Anakin hints at. He's like, well, you're the closest thing I have to a father um, when he scolds him about the lightsaber. And uh, um, yeah, that's a great, a great thing to reference because that was the episode that they flashed back to in, in the mm-hmm. second last episode. So yeah, there, there really is this... this uh, um, very quick, brief thing in the films where where we get that father, uh, that father son vibe, uh, and in the Clone Wars onwards through Revenge of the Sith, it's more of the brotherhood vibe. But uh, but yeah, that was that was a really nice touch. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to revisit that was really cool. Um, also, can we all talk about how big Owen's house is? Yeah, like, yeah that, that is surprising, right? It looks big, and it's like I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Freaking moisture farming pays big. Like, what's <laughs> oh, it's a generational home. Just add on every few years. Yeah, dig a new hole. Yeah, <laughs> dig a new tunnel somewhere. Yeah, it looks very small up top, but it goes down yeah. deep. Apparently, I was like, whoa! I didn't expect like multiple rooms. Yeah, and it made me question when, like, it's a new hope and he wants Luke to stay around because, you know, one more season, I can't afford it. And I'm like, your house is massive, ma'am. <laughs> like, I think you can't afford it. I mean, okay, real I estate problem is, is probably pretty cheap, though. Let's yes, I was going to say, yeah, the real estate went down so much, they're, they're at a negative value right now. So yeah, it's in Detroit on Tatooine. People are, um, you're getting robbed by Jawas and Tusken Raiders. I mean, it makes sense they have the extra room. Yeah, um, it's uh, Jabba's thugs are stealing your water. Um, I also didn't expect how like how little bit graphic it was, um, and for two reasons. One, just you know, like Anakin, um, Anna, like yeah, Darth Vader, like pinning, force pinning um, Obi Wan to the fire, and just like watching him burn. I was like, well, that's kind of dark for like a classic Star Wars, um, and maybe because I was kind of like anticipating Clone Warsy kind of like level violent, even like that. But also there was blood. And I was, and previously I was under the impression that every single wound, because they're usually um, plasma and, you know, like lightsaber, extremely hot, just instantly cauterize the wound. And that's how they avoid not having blood. And then I looked it up actually, because after I was like, whoa, um, blood, what the heck? Um, and there is some blood here or there. Like, um, there is like some blood on different different parts of star wars but that was the first time i was like whoa i see i I actually noticed the blood being like being on that lightsaber blast right yeah Yeah. it is surprising because they had to canonize a qualish blood which is when we see the the first delimic in a new hope we see panda babar he's a qualish his arm cut off there's blood there right because they hadn't decided that it's cauterized so Mm -hmm. his race just uh their blood doesn't cauterize they had to like canonize that. Yeah. It's like an excuse. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, one thing I want to get you guys' opinions about is uh, obviously uh, Hayden Christensen makes his famous return to Star Wars acting for the first time since Revenge of the Sith. And, um, you know, I've, I've always been a big uh, Hayden advocate. I've, I've always loved the guy. Um, but he's, uh, as many people know, been a, one of the more controversial um, actor choices, I guess, uh, for the role of Anakin Skywalker. When the prequels were coming out, uh, he, he was kind of the, the victim of a lot of uh, critical flack. And um, I don't know what each of you, th- what, what your thoughts are on, on, on him as playing the character, but uh, was there any strong vibes about uh, this was a, a great decision to bring him back as Darth Vader? And any, any thoughts surrounding kind of that whole aspect of the show? I was excited to have him back. Like, I've always loved Hayden Christensen. I always thought he was a great choice, but that's probably just when I watched the prequels. Um, I just never even knew that there was a question about it. Um, I was at first, like the first few episodes, I was like, is he just in the suit? Like, are we ever going to see him? Like, why did they actually bring him back? Um, And then I was excited with like, just the tiny like, oh, maybe he's like seeing him in places and the flashbacks and then at the ending, of course. Um, But yeah, I, I would have been very upset if they did not bring him back. Honestly, I'm a big Hayden Christensen fan for sure. I thought I definitely liked him in the suit. I thought his like the 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 kind of flashback thing I thought was a little interesting, um, mainly because and I respected this as someone who um, is starting to see his hair getting lost on his head too. I was weird the flashback of his visibly seeing hair loss, and I was like, "You're a little bit older, okay." <laughs> um, but I still liked it. I was like, "Still like okay, it probably would look more natural than just." Telling someone else, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, they didn't de-age him at all, which I thought was surprising. Usually, they they fill in a little bit of the missing hair and then to smooth out the wrinkles, but I think that was just all raw footage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I don't know why they did if they've just been like de-aging Luke, which I think is way harder than de-aging Hayden by like ten years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're totally right. Uh, and, and, uh, just to flash back to what you said there, Ellen, as well. Um, I, I, w- I remember talking about this when Rogue One came out, um, and I mentioned it to Blake actually, and, and, and the few others that, that, uh, I saw the film with, and, um, I remember thinking, why didn't they bring Hayden back to play Darth Vader? Cause he was in the movie. And, uh, and I, I remember seeing the headlines that there was just a, different guy you know who who was was brought back to uh do that hallway scene and do yeah, the some uh, wrestler or something because he was, he was yeah kind of like a david prowse build right right yeah uh, to do the scene with krennic and then the back to tank sequence you know and 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 it was a very brief brief moment through the whole thing but i i always kind of wondered why why not right i mean you know hayden's worn the suit before um and they were able to pull it off very well like, i didn't notice that he wasn't seven feet high and you know, they like they, they did their movie magic and uh, made it work. Right. Um, so now that that is a thing, um, I hope it's encouraging for other film cre- directors and stuff that might come into star Wars, want to use Darth Vader and uh, look at the success that bringing Hayden back has been. And I hope they just decide to default to him when they do that now. Uh, because of the success of this show and and just how great of a decision it was to bring it back into the show, uh, so yeah, the, the the doors that it opens to, I mean, uh, you know, it was it was uh, it was a great it was a great call on their part, <clears throat> but um, 
Question then, was Hayden always in the suit? No. Like the entire um, show? No, he wasn't. I, I ha- uh, So the, one thing I'm really looking forward to is the Disney gallery on the behind the scenes of this whole thing. They've done a great gallery episodes for Mandalorian season one, two and book of Boba so far. So uh, I suspect in the coming weeks or months, we'll, we'll probably get one of those as well for Kenobi. But um, w- one of the, one of the minor headlines I did see was that there were about two or three stunt doubles that uh, did also wear the suit in some instances. Um, I know for sure it wasn't him when they, uh, when they, they use some pulley system to smash him into the rock wall when Obi-Wan does his force push and stuff. Obviously moments like that, they're not going to risk uh, putting their, their, their star in the, uh, in the suit. But um, that being said, I don't think he was just there only to play the flashback sequence and the sequence where the helmet comes off. I think he did, he did do some lightsaber training, of course, and he has talked about that on stage. So um, I do believe he was in the suit for that final battle. Um, and potentially even the battle earlier in in the show, um, but uh, it's it really depends on the stunt and maybe what they're trying to do. If there's any kind of risk factor, they could have maybe swapped him out with one of the other team uh, that was there to to back him up. But but yeah, that's a great question. That's a question I've got. I know a lot of people are probably thinking the same thing, like wondering just how much of Vader through the show that he actually played. Uh, so hopefully that Disney Gallery episode does fill us in on those matters, you know, later on. Uh, but, uh, have you, have you guys been watching any of the, uh, the, the press from Hayden Christensen on YouTube? There's so many now. It's amazing. I have heard about, a little bit how excited he was, which made me feel really good about it. Um, and he, how excited he was to come back and stuff like that. But I haven't listened to like, I haven't like exhaustively looked at everything. Yeah. I watched him on Jimmy Fallon and then I read somewhere and I don't know if this was true that he rewatched all of the Clone Wars, like the TV animated show. Yeah, I heard that mm-hmm. too. I think it was uh, at Celebration uh, he said that because he wanted to know the full history of the character, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah, I, so I thought that was really cool. I was like, because he could have just like come in, he's already played the character, but the fact that he like did the research up between, I thought that was super cool. Right. Yeah, that was, it was, you know, he's, uh, Jumper is one of my favorite movies. He's, uh, he's great in that movie. <laughs> I don't know why it's one of my favorite movies. I just love the, uh, the uh, idea no, of teleportation. Jumper. Have you, have you guys seen Jumper? Have you all seen Jumper? Never. Um, I yeah. I saw part of it. A friend of mine really said it was, he said it was really good. It's great. It it's really great. good. It's got Samuel Jackson, Hayden Christensen. It's about teleporters and people hunting teleporters and it's fantastic. Um, and I'm recently, I've recently started going through the impulse series, which is kind of like a spinoff, uh, in the same world as, as the jumper film and, uh, by the same director and everything. And, um, it's, it's great, but, um, it's basically the plot line. If basically dude survived and Hayden or Anakin had to go on the run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. It, it's a slightly older movie. It came out in 2008. It's actually how he met his, uh, his partner who he was with for 10 years, uh, and uh, had a child together, um, and it, it's uh, it's based on a book, but it's very very loosely based on a book series with, with that has four books in it. Uh, but I've always thought he was he was just been a great actor, and you know he's he's from uh, uh, of course our home city, and and um, you know I just uh, I, I love supporting the the idea that, that you know he's just uh, he's one of my my heroes. If I if I could spend a day with any like actor, he'd probably be on the list. <laughs> So man crush on Hayden Christensen, but, um, yeah, also, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say like, they've been bringing back like a lot of actors and I personally, listen, I love, um, 
So I just have a truck behind me. Um, I loved um, them bringing a lot of the characters back. Um, and here's the thing is, um, Mark Hamill is, I think, a terrible actor. And I love him. I think he's one of the best voice actors in the world. I don't think in raw acting ability, he's really that, like, whoa, this guy is, like, a great actor. I also think he's, like, probably the best voice actor I can think of. I love the animated Batman. Um, I love Avatar The Last Airbender, um, of which he plays, like, titular villains. And his voice is iconic in those. I just, he's just not... Oh, he's and they decided to bring him back, and I was like, you know what? I think Hayden is a is a better actor, even though people gave him a lot of shade. Um, which, to be fair, I think some of the lines he was given absolutely no help um, in the <laughs> yeah, no, um, that opinion as well. Yeah, like it is. Yeah, it's real tough to be like, you know, he was given he was given memeable lines, and thus he became a meme. Um, I think Star um, Wars in general is like that, though. Like, the, there's a lot of memeable lines. There is. Yeah, Let's try is. spinning. That's a cool trick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, I love it. There was, uh, I love there was something I, I actually wrote down here. Uh, it was a little article I found uh, in one of the many press conferences he's done. I think this one was with the, the Hollywood Reporter. Um, he talked about his experience uh, with George Lucas on the set of uh, Attack of the Clones. And uh, this is a, a bit of an origin story to uh, a language which is referred to him by Wadanese. But uh, in my opinion, I always thought that it was Hatties uh, until I read this and didn't realize it was a different thing. Um, so I literally went through the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna play a piece of I'm gonna play a piece of audio for you guys and just we'll we'll talk about it in just a second. Let's let's take a quick listen. Chut chut water. Sing me chasa hopa. Kipuda, you bana piota. Chasa, Jedi. No bata, no dodo. Ay, God. Me boska de shmi Skywalker. Lani? Ni Lani? All right, do you guys remember that part from Attack of the Clones? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, it's, it's a funny little story, um, but apparently, uh, so this is, this is just like a, a, a quote from Hayden. He said, I don't know that I have a, uh, a scene that I was most proud of, but there's a scene where Anakin goes back to Tatooine in episode two and speaks to Watto. The script had the dialogue written in English and then uh, parentheses. It said in Wadanese. It wasn't until the day before we started filming that I went to George and I was like, what should Wadanese sound like? And he was like, well, you know, uh, so long as it doesn't sound like English or any other language and, you know, might sound familiar. Um, you can just make it up. <laughs> and uh christensen says this like laughingly and and so uh he was rushing the night before to figure out how to make up wide and ease and 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 that was him just uh improvising the whole thing and and uh every time he sees that scene he gets a bit of a kick out of it but i thought that was just such a cool story because uh, i don't think any of us have really ever 
heard that from anyone. You know, this like a, it's a new news to me that he just invented that like the night before the filming. And and to me, it always sounded like it was very carefully kind of written out in a specific way to line up with a Star Wars kind of language. Right. Because it just sounds so authentic to the universe. Yeah, um, totally. That was 100 yeah, percent him. I just thought it was Huddies, which is like a well-established like language in Star Wars. <laughs> right. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, in Clone Wars, we do see um, the, uh, the 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 Tordarians, uh, and uh, they, they never speak a native language to each other, I don't believe, if I can recall from memory. Um, I don't think so. But why is their language named after Watto? I, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's just kind of the funny aspect about it is it's like calling uh, the Gungan language like, uh, like Jar Jar Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just a behind the scenes kind of, we don't know what to call this language. So let's just name it after the character. Um, like Yoda's race for the longest time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know, but it, it, it's a cool story and it's a great tribute to just how talented the guy is. And, uh, uh, you know, I was very grateful that he shared that story with, with, with somebody that it, now it's floating around. So, um, yeah. Um, is there anything you guys want to mention before we, uh, about Obi-Wan Kenobi before we slightly shift gears here? I will say I am very worried about them doing, uh, doing like another one. Right. Yes. Reva spinoff. Yeah. Yeah. The oil. <laughs> I think like there's this huge reservoir. I think there is with the prequels that they kind of have it tapped. Um, and I think that it was, I think most of it is in the vein of this relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan. I don't know how excited I would be of like a Leia or a Luke spinoff, but it's like, I think the Anakin Obi-Wan relationship is something like that is a huge like reservoir of value. And I think after tapping that, I don't know how the longevity and the legs that it might has, but that's my only thought on it. Gotcha. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely would be very hesitant for them to do a second series. I think it was, it was a good to have a limited series. I really enjoyed, enjoyed it. I wish there was more episodes, but I'm glad it ended. And I was satisfied with how it ended. Mm -hmm. It made sense for the new hope tie-ins with like their duel again i was like this is good and i just i don't want them to mess with it anymore yeah yeah okay, that's exactly what i was gonna ask because like i feel like that's a big thing if they're gonna do another like a second season or not is if, if it ties into new hope well enough yeah because i think they like it ties in it's not perfect it ties in but i uh, yeah i really hope disney does not see this as a money-making machine like I don't know. I know this is like Book of Boba, but I was actually sad they brought back Grogu. I love Grogu. He's one of my favorite characters. I was sad they brought him back. Um, and so, yes, I really just hope they don't second season. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I think I think we all just care about the the weight of these characters too much to want a, 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 another story that might water down that second fight that happened or the third fight, I guess, now that happens on the Death Star, you know, Um let's just stick with the three and, uh, and leave it at that. Right. Uh, so it, it was a very nice conclusion, a very nice goodbye between Obi-Wan and, you know, his, uh, his ex Padawan that, that meant so much to him. And it was just, you know what, I think we're all just kind of satisfied where it is. Right. And there's always going to you know, be those little moments that don't mm. quite tie in, you know, and it's just the, just the casualty of making a story between all of these other stories. Uh, there's always going to be stuff. And there are a few minor moments that also wish we could have had. Like the final episode, I wish we had seen him 
moving into like his hut. Like, just a brief <laughs> moment, like him like settling at the end, just like you know, he's moved on from the cave. Because you kind of see him, like you kind of assume that's where he's going, but right. Yeah. But my yeah. question is, where does he get the money for the hut? Because if he's like scrounging for those 10 years, like how is it like he goes, does this adventure, and then he's like, I can afford a hut now. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's cheap on tattooing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, as, as we all know, there is that big massive bucket of, of stories out there that have not quite made it into the canon. Uh, which we refer to as the expanded universe, which is all those books and comics and and galore that have uh, come before Disney and and uh, made this conglomerate uh, expanded universe that that uh, storytellers can reference. And what was really neat about the Obi Wan Kenobi show was that one of the um, actually I think it was the director uh, uh, Deborah Chow and um, Ewan McGregor both read the. Kenobi novel, uh, right. Uh, one of them right before and, uh, Ewan read it after, I believe he said that they filmed the first season. So I got like a small thing to read out here. Uh, just, um, uh, I, I, I copied it down here from a, a site called farawaypress.com. And it says here, Ewan McGregor told Screen Rant in an interview that he'd read the novel after filming the first season. He said, um, I read the novel uh, that was written called Kenobi but I read it after this series. I don't know why, because I enjoyed playing him so much again, and I read it afterwards. It's uh, not the story that we used for our series, but I liked that. Uh, I liked the the way that he's written that story, and it's interesting, having just told a story that takes place between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope to suddenly read this novel of the same time period. In a way, it was very interesting. Um, so you can check out the interview there, and then simultaneous with that release date interview, uh, the series director, Deborah Chow, also discussed reading the Kenobi novel as part of her preparation for the series. And she says, I read Kenobi and thought uh, they did a, a Miller, uh, the uh, author, did a lovely job. And uh, she says, uh, I was trying to get a sense of what this feels like for the character at that point in his life. And while the novel is clearly set long before the TV show, it's an arrival story down to its roots. She said it influenced the tone of the show. And what's especially gratifying is that the show aligns perfectly with the novel when it came to one of the biggest decisions that she made in, uh, that he made in the book, uh, which is uh, that Qui-Gon would not answer Obi-Wan just yet, or, or in general. Uh, and the show and the book can coexist quite easily. Um, so, you know, if anyone's got a headcanon out there, uh, they could, you know, kind of throw that in the mix. But I thought that was kind of a cool little, uh, little outtake of that interview because... Um, there's been a lot of discussion about the uh, Kenobi novel, one of the last expanded universe legends novels that were written before the Disney era. And uh, a lot of people might want to consider that as canon if it lines up really well with the show. You know, there, there's a lot of things that could make sense still. So being earlier in the timeline, um, I would imagine that he doesn't quite have his hut just yet in that book. I actually haven't read it, but um, I imagine that that's not uh, an infliction. So in the expanded universe, even he, he never really quite just went to Tatooine and, you know, paid someone for a house and boom, there, there he had it. I, I think it was always a bit of a process, uh, you know, to get to that point where he lives on the other side of the Dune Sea, quite far away from the Lars homestead, which is a bit curious because he went there with intentions to watch over Luke. So the show tells a really good bridge there of going from that kind of process of having to watch over this boy 
to him accepting the fact that he's now being raised by his family and uh, kind of feels like he can keep his distance a little bit more. So uh, that, that is a definitely a great thing to bring up. And, and uh, uh, yeah, thank you for reminding me uh, to talk about that. So <laughs> uh, if anyone wants to read the Kenobi novel uh, and, uh, you know, or has read it and, and is shouting out stuff at home through their headphones about, uh, you know, the consistency of that with the show, definitely send an email about it. Cause I would love to hear more about it. Um, so yeah. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's take a quick look at, uh, maybe these, uh, these particular five favorite things that we have from the prequels. All right, so we've uh, we've each kind of prepared uh, a list, as far as I know. And if we've not, then uh, I'm sure you'll probably come up with it on the spot. But um, let's start with the Phantom Menace, and uh, just kind of taking Obi Wan Kenobi as a bit of a inspiration for perhaps some of the things on this list. Um, you know, I've I've come up with a few um, things that definitely have a huge impact on the Skywalker saga at large. Things that might maybe play into the shows around the corner. Um, or just things that you just thought, this is what makes the movie for me, you know? Um, and, uh, we, in the spirit of, uh, seeing all these flashbacks from Anakin and Obi-Wan and, and the kind of the return of this prequel era, cause like you mentioned, Blake, I feel like it's been so long since we've had such a saturated environment where there's so much more prequel love that, uh, it might be a cool way to honor the, the trilogy. So, um, and that long lasts, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, why don't we start with you? Um, what's your What's your first thing on the list? I know we might all have some shared items, and if that is the case, just chime in after uh, you know when it comes up, and and then we'll cross it off and then move on to the next thing. But um, yeah, what's your first one? Well, I just want to open up by saying that a lot of my list is more or less stuff that I think of, or stuff that I as he is uh, transitionary really stands out in the films. Uh, so me, actually, the first thing I wrote down was I like the B1 battle droids better in Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like they were a lot more serious. And uh, in the next two films, I got, in my opinion, a little too goofy. I really wish they had stayed with uh, what they did in Phantom Menace. And maybe this is part of the fact that I actually prefer Phantom Menace to the next two films. So Fair enough. Oh, that's the hardest thing I've heard in a while. <laughs> it has aged really well, honestly. I, I wouldn't have said this to, 10 years ago. I just ago. want you to say yes or no to this question, okay? Sure. Do you prefer The Phantom Menace to Revenge of the Sith? I do. That's bold. That's bold. <laughs> wow. That's true. I, don't, I, just, I just needed that to be there. Yeah, no, it's true. It's um, it's definitely uh, um, not the most uncommon uh, opinion. That's for sure. I know. I know. There's a lot of people out there that have now um, looked at the Phantom Menace as a well-aged film, and and whereas the other two have still kind of a little bit ways to go on their roster. But um, and I feel like part of it is, like I said, there's a less serious tone in the next two movies, excluding right. obviously the Anakin turning into Vader like uh, sequence. But yeah. Uh, that and the fact that I think a lot of the CG has aged really poorly just because of CG and yeah. Phantom Menace had a lot of practical stuff. Yeah, it definitely yeah. was that transition period of like using a lot more CG effects. And of course, we wouldn't have the world we would today without those movies, you know, pushing that oh, forward. Yeah. But and um, they were fantastic yeah. at the time. It's just it's, that's the nature of CG. Right. Yeah. Is, exactly. As it gets better, you realize the flaws in the older stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. 
But yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a curious curious choice. Uh, I mean, I love the Phantom Menace, and uh, of course the battle droids and that. That's a great one. Um, Ellen, what's your, what's your first uh, what's your first thing on this one? Uh, okay, my first one is Jar Jar. I kind Wait, of what? I love Jar Jar <laughs> yes. and Phantom Menace. Um, okay, it's a little bit my like my dad's humor is Jar Jar, so I think that's like part of the reason I love this character. But I loved in Phantom Menace, like you did have a comedy character, but it was still a very serious film. Mm-hmm. And like I know what you're saying of the other two films, they kind of get a little bit more goofy and such. And Phantom Menace, I just Jar Jar. Yeah, good guy. Some good comic relief. <laughs> ben, yeah, it's kind of that's kind of an interesting twist, though. Where it's like, the re- yeah, the rest of the film is quite serious, and then Jar Jar is just like off the walls. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say when you were like, man, Qui Gon, um, like Phantom is the, most, is the most serious one. And I was like, man, barring Jar Jar, though, man, if you cut that out, it is for sure more serious. I'm yeah, with that one, yeah, I, I, I'm yeah. pretty sure there are fan edits out there with just all the Jar Jar's just just boom gone like they just literally like didn't even care if it didn't make sense they just cut every single scene out with him in it it's so confusing yeah yeah exactly the the unseen jar jar edition um <laughs> yeah but that that is a great one to bring up i mean uh as far as far as talking about prequel love that definitely seems to be one of the big gripes that a lot of uh, a lot of maybe older fans uh, have you know the ones that grew up with the original trilogy tend to have a big thing against Jar Jar so uh, uh, you know um, I'm always happy to see Jar Jar love and and now we're at the point where you can go down to the store and buy a bumper sticker with Jar Jar's face on it and it's definitely not going to be that weird anymore so (laughs) now people probably just laugh and be like I remember that yeah yeah now he's you know that's exactly it's like what Ben said now it's memeable now now it's it's aged you know well <laughs> it's it's aged in a favorable way right uh hopefully uh, there, there there's still a lot of bitter people out there but but definitely jar jar i love it uh ben, ben that, last jedi last jedi fans just another <laughs> 20 years yeah just another 20 years so that's that's how long it takes uh ben what's the first one on your list um i would say like and i kind of like had trouble choosing like this one specifically but the general class of um qui-gon jinn fathering and promoting Anakin Skywalker. Um, I think that Qui-Gon is slept on so hard. He's like one of the best, I think one of the best Star Wars characters. He's not really ever there. Um, But I think just like Qui-Gon is everything that both Anakin and the Jedi Council need. I think like his death is massive in the development of Anakin Skywalker and also the descent of, of the Jedi Council and the Republic. But I think yeah, Qui-Gon's such a chill, like, hey, earnestly looking for, like, he doesn't concern himself with the affairs of, like, politics in the Republic, which I think the Jedi Council is a little too involved in, but, um, and I think just the the fathering nature, and it's like, man, if would, the question of would Anakin turn to the dark side with a father figure like um, Qui-Gon is, is one of the more interesting ones, so I think the fatherly scenes, uh, and specifically, like, if one scene was, like, um, kind of the aftermath of Anakin going to the Jedi Council and everyone just kind of tearing him up and he's like no like believe in yourself I got you um, and like oh like promise him me that you'll like you know take him on was some of my favorite parts that's, that's definitely a great one that's actually uh, on my list of five as well as is, is I put Qui-Gon's death but uh, yeah you're so right you know the, the influence that he holds over the whole film and uh, of course 
uh, over the, the whole saga. saga. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it ripples out so much. Definitely, yeah, it can't be uh, understated. That's for sure. Um, I uh, I have one on my list. Uh, actually, the top one on my list, which I didn't really have any particular order, but this one just ended up being the first one I put down was uh, Young Skywalker and Padme. And um, the reason why I put that down is just because. Yeah. I don't think anyone. Robin the cradle. I don't. <laughs> well, not not specifically that aspect of it, but but just the the the, uh, the the fact that we saw a young Anakin Skywalker in the sense that we did, right? Because because of course you know um, sometimes child, like if Phil were if Phil were here, he would say, oh, "I hate child actors," and <laughs> and you know it's definitely not the most popular opinion, uh, you know, to have um such an influential character like that be played by such a young person and you know when george spoke to that he actually a lot, a lot of the producers and stuff was working with said like anakin should be older like why are you casting such a, a young person for this role right. yeah 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 and he yeah he attests to that and and but you know looking back and seeing how um uh, how important that is to the story um, I feel like having Anakin as such a young boy and being so innocent, just seeing that innocence, right, before he becomes, before he gets pulled into the Jedi life. And, and you have that moment with Qui-Gon where he explains to Anakin, like, being a Jedi is not easy. He says, and even if you succeed, it's a hard life. And he, like, really pushes that on it, right? He says, like, it's not, it's not the easiest thing in the world to be what I am, Right. And, and he also yeah, says to Anakin, he also says to Anakin, I know, right? He also says to Anakin, like, uh, um, uh, that, you know, Jedi aren't invincible when, when, uh, when Anakin <laughs> kind of says, no one can kill a Jedi. And is that, is that really sweet innocence that just makes you smile? And, um, then you have that sad kind of tragedy moment later when, when after Qui-Gon says, I wish that were so, and he actually does die. Um, it adds so much to the story when you get to see these characters in this very young kind of innocent, uh, uh, role, right. Before all the stuff goes wrong. And, um, and it's really this lengthy process that really helps draw that story out a lot more when you see the downfall of Anakin Skywalker, who he was beforehand. Um, and, uh, of course with that is the, the very important, crucial role that Padme plays in his life as well. Um, and that, that's why I ended up on, on my list. So, um, let's go back to you, Blake. What, what's, what, uh, you got another one? Well, I feel like this is a perfect segue into one of the, the ones that I thought was most important. Uh, and that's, uh, just the roll around Anakin in, the, in this film where as this, as the, the song duel, of the fates calls out, like this movie really does, uh, it does lead Anakin towards like this this dark ending, right? Like he could have been such a prominent Jedi, he could have perhaps, you know, brought peace to the galaxy and balance to the Force. But instead, as we as we see through uh, the final duel between Darth Maul and and uh, Qui Gon and, and Obi Wan, that his his fate is sealed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the duel of fates is on my list. Um, and you know, not only do we get a really cool one of the most awesome lightsaber duels in the entire saga uh with one of the best themes that go with it uh but i mean yeah it's it's probably one of the most influential one of the most important lightsaber duels that exists and uh i'm, I'm definitely glad that's on your list as well yeah and uh, i really feel like the person who described it the best was dave filoni so uh, i was hoping you could pull up that clip of him talking about it yeah, you know, it's going to take me a moment to bring it up just but I know where to, I know where people can find it. Um it's it's on the Disney Gallery Mandalorian 
episode on Disney Plus. I believe it's for either season one or it's it's either season one or season two. It's one of those ones. Um, and, and I can't remember which one, so it'll take me too long to pull it up. But um, anyone who hasn't seen the Disney galleries for, for the Star Wars shows, definitely give them a watch. They're a fantastic, um, you know, can't can't say enough good things about them. But uh, Ellen, what's uh, what do you got? Uh, yeah, another one, because um, I actually just rewatched Phantom Menace after finishing Obi-Wan, was I was just surprised how much Obi-Wan disliked Anakin to begin with. Just, like, how cruel he is to him. And it was just, like, it's so interesting to watch that and then go to the Obi-Wan series and just the weight of guilt he has that he's done the job poorly um, in his eyes. And, yeah, it was... I was just... I forgot that they didn't like each other at the beginning. Well, Obi-Wan didn't like him, at least. He calls him a useless life form. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of so mean to a little child, because he is so innocent and just, like, so naive of the world. And, yeah, Obi-Wan just kind of hates him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, at least. That is that is kind of a, 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 a nice one to pull up, because um, it, it does it does kind of add just a, another little flavor to the... Uh, the relationship that they have later, later, but uh, but yeah, when 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 Qui Gon first talks to Obi Wan about how he's going back on his EOB to pick, you know, to, to do something, Obi Wan says says, uh, "Why do I get the feeling that we're picking up another uh, senseless you know, like life form?" <laughs> and uh, you know, he's referencing Jar Jar in that in that in that case because you know Jar Jar, but uh, it's just kind of a funny little quip that, that, uh, of course it's, it's Anakin is a very important character, but, um, Obi-Wan's quite reluctant. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, yeah, Ben, Ben, what do you got? Um, I mean, these are no, no particular order, but this is one I just was like, kind of like how on my list, um, was, um, from the entire, like prequels was just, is this five for, are we doing like five from the entire prequels, right? Um, well, this is specifically Phantom oh, Menace, but, uh, Phantom but yeah, we'll, we'll move okay. up from there. Yeah. 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 Okay. I was like, just reordered my list. I had my list kind of disorganized right now. And just like these ones, um, I think mine was kind of tied and, um, mainly cause this one was the only scene that when I first watched it, I would remember was just like the Gungans throwing like the little balls that at the droids. And this one, I don't looking back, it wasn't that good a scene. Um, but when I was a kid, I was like, whoa, they're just freaking throwing these little balls at robots. And I was so confused. There's something that really ca- captured my magic of like, it was just so interesting just seeing like the robots fighting against not. I think that was just as a kid, my favorite part is just like, whoa, this kind of, this kind of was weird to me. Um, I was like, yeah, I was just like, man, they're just like throwing balls at these guys. I'm like, wow. These fish guys are just throwing balls at robots, and it's like, and I'm here for it. <laughs> and you describe it like that, it just seems so ridiculous. I think it was when I was a kid, it was just like, man, it was just so weird. It was like, ah, oh, it's working. And I was just like, I don't know. It was just something as a kid is like the thing that stuck in my mind the most of like, oh, I was kind of like wild with like guns and shields. And it was just, it felt like everything. Maybe because it's also like, yeah, just, you know, I just felt like, well, I was like, whoa, this is like, what like a, this was what Star Wars was gonna be like, and I kind of like that was my introduction to it, um, and just that was just as a kid my introduction, so it was a soft spot in my heart. <laughs> nice, that's awesome. Um, I just for kicks, I put down uh, I put down the pod race on on my list. I just felt oh, like man. it had to be there. 
Um, I don't know if you guys have it on your list, but uh, oh yeah, yeah, it's no, on your I list. It on mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> we, 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 yeah, let's let's give it a moment that we can talk about how awesome this scene is because um, I, I mean, first of all, it's the thing, it's the reason why Anakin wins his freedom, um, and uh, it saves kind of his the the, the Qui Gon and the Queen like their ship. You know, he wins all the parts and the money that they need to to, to fix their their ship. Um, but wins his freedom as well. But the pod race itself, so good. I mean, like, I don't, there, there is no other Star Wars movie where you get such a sequence in, in the, the lengthy time that it is. Um, that's just, uh, dedicated to George's love of, of racing, you know? And I just always I thought it's, it's cool. I think it might be the only thing in all the films that they, like, something big that happens that isn't, like action, like they're going to like die at any moment from fighting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There, there's this, uh, there's this real sense of energy um, throughout the whole race, and uh, I don't know what, 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 like when, when you guys watch the the pod race, like what are your, what are the feelings that you get? Do, do you, do you still, even uh, though you know what happens, are you still kind of excited, like when uh, you see it? My like, feeling is uh, Spy Kids episode three race scene is, is my number one <laughs> feeling. Um, I was, I don't know, for me, I was just like, wow, I love racing games. I love anything that's kind of moving fast. I was just like, wow, this is pure like adrenaline and speed. And I think, like, I think sometimes it's really hard to capture well a fast race just because. Like you to make it very clear, you have to make it feel slow, and and I think this one like it feels so fast, and and you really like actually if I'm gonna go back right now, I think that is a far better way at showing force sensitivity and skill mm. than um than Leia running through the forest. If <laughs> um, yeah, I'm gonna go back, to that, I think it's like a far more like whoa, this is kind of cool without like making other characters feel very dumb and useless it's like it feels like the other guys are still good but that's a great that's a great point to bring up because yeah even qui-gon like he directly says to shmi like uh that anakin's reflexes are uh are you know not of the ordinary right he says that he can see things before he can see you can see things before they happen <laughs> it's a Jedi. Trick. I'm the only human yeah. that can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the only human that can do it. Yeah, um, yeah. It's is uh, no. That's a great. That's a great point to bring up because because the race really showcases his uh, his uh, affinity in the Force, right? Um, so uh, yeah, from from such a young age and just how gifted he really is. Um, the racers that he's going against are all uh, alien species and. Uh, you know, with probably heightened um, senses, and and uh, they always make out the the humans in Star Wars to be the the primitive race, even though they're like the the, the main central point of the story. Um, I think there's some alien who says that they just they just breed too much and they just take everything over, push yeah. everyone out. <laughs> yeah, the humans are the real parasites of the galaxy. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, that 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 pod the pod race is just is just so great. Um, Let's, uh, yeah, I think it's one point again that because you, you touched on it briefly, just the American graffiti aspect on it. Like, it's yeah, just so I think it's so cool that uh, George just loved experimenting with stuff mm-hmm. and just he just he does does so well when he tries, right? So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and and he hinted about the his love for his obviously American graffiti plays a whole lot into his into his career, you know, being his first kind of big movie, mm-hmm. but. Um, his love for cars never goes uh, unstated in his work. I mean, 
you know, even even in A New Hope, they always uh, there was that whole cut sequence with Luke and his friends on Tatooine, and how they reference uh, they're they're flying through Beggar's Canyon, and uh, you know, and uh, it, it, it's it's always been just this thing that uh, that has come up with some of the characters here and there that that George makes. Uh, you know, even Vader, he's got his custom Tie Fighter that he makes himself you know no one else has the same ship and uh either there's there's a lot of things there that i think he just he loves showcasing that and this is this plays into my whole theory that fast and furious and star wars would be such a great crossover (laughs) (laughs) um uh so yeah let's go back to uh to you blake you got anything else on your list uh well upon racing knocked off uh uh, I would say the next one's probably just the the art design that they they created for in, in Phantom Menace. They designed kind of the basis for the whole prequel era. Mm. Yeah. And uh, Doug Chang really talked about this a lot at this last Star Wars celebration, where he was tasked with picking up uh, where the, the original trilogy left off, and then all the designs that he was asked to do by George were just so radically different. He just he didn't think a movie was going to work, but George just had this grand scheme of how everything would flow together. So we get the cool stuff like the Naboo Starfighter. He spoke with, spoke to a lot. But that's supposed to be like a Formula One racing car uh, Starfighter. Like right. Everything is handmade sort of an idea, right? As opposed to the mass-produced, say, X-Wings and the TIE Fighters we get. Yeah. I just think that just the, the design that they tried to apply to all this stuff, well, they, did, they just really thought it through really well. And there's so many iconic designs, like thinking of the the Federation donut like control ships, right? Like, where else do you see that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So much uh, in, ingenuity in in designing the galaxy, and so cool to see Doug Chang come back to Star Wars. You know, have, with his work in in all the live action shows now, it really you can really tell uh, that he's oh, yeah. involved. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Ellen? What's 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 next on your list for Phantom Menace? Yeah, I think the last one I have for Phantom Menace is just how it really expanded the Star Wars universe. Like, even just, like, Tatooine, it expanded through the pod race and, like, through, like, the city. It just really expanded what the universe was like post uh, pre-Empire um, and, like, Naboo and then all these other planets. It just really, that movie expanded the Star Wars universe so much. And, yeah, we mm-hmm. have so much to be grateful for because of Phantom Menace because of that. That's a great. That's a great generalist way of looking at it. I mean, uh, you could throw midi chlorines in the mix as well. I mean, uh, that expands the uh, perception of how the force works. And you know, I know that's usually a controversial part of that movie. Uh, so I, 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 yeah, that you know, it's it's all just part of this greater workings, right? Um, so yeah, that's that's just a great one to mention. Yeah, uh, Ben, what about you? What's the what's the last thing or second last thing uh, on your list? I think I only have one more that hasn't been said, and that was just. Anakin telling his mom that he's going to come back always made me a little sad. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was just like, and knowing how it ends. And I know there's a lot of like, you're telling me that the entire, like, even when they talk to the Jedi, that there's no money left over to just buy Shimmy. Like, they, like, they talk about how, like, man, we have this person who's super force sensitive, um, but there's this big thing that he's going to be really scared because his mom's a slave and that's a potential for him to come follow the dark side. And they're like, well, what if we just buy her freedom? And the problem is, I think it's more complicated than that because that might make him struggle with attachment even more. Yeah, I can see that. And she could be around. Know, 
you wouldn't you would think that'd be a nice thing to do you know you'd think that they're like hey you know what we were taking this kid in maybe we free his mom just like a little like you know steining bonus or whatever um but i think it was just that and i think that there are other things and i think there's a there's a really good count dooku quote on um the republic and the slave trade but um i just i just think that was always i really like that that part always always made me like a little like it's very small just like hey I'm, i'll come back to you i promise mm-hmm. and it kind of like is it really sets up his arc well yeah and that, and that goes back to the kind of like what the what the first thing on my list which is young skywalker just like the moment would be different if he wasn't that young right you know when he kind yeah. of innocently says will i ever see you again you know, this is a, a young boy who's about to never see his mom again. You know, that's that's like it's it's a very touching um, moment in that movie that that none of the other movies really can ever replicate. You know, uh, so yeah, that's that's definitely a great one for sure. Um, the last thing on my list would be the Trade Federation and the politics in the Senate. Um, I feel like The Force Awakens is a great example of um, how context is just so important to a, a story. And, you know, getting this galactic kind of uh, explanation for uh, just why the, the Republic doesn't work anymore, why, why the, how, how it has the weaknesses it has that allows it to crumble, and how this Republic who's, that stood for a thousand years gets destroyed, you know, in, in like a, a series of events in the course of three years in a war. Uh, the whole Jedi Order wiped out overnight. You know, it's just like it's just like how does that happen, right? There, there's got to be no, a plan in place. A good point. And and it's it, like, yeah, the, the the context matters, right? And, and so uh, um, I've always loved that. And and it's usually been a point of complaining for a lot of people. It was like, oh, there's so much there's so much politics in these movies, but uh, it, it's it's reason for stuff, right? And I like that you put it like that because I mean, I know when in the sequels they tried to. Do try to make it as a basis really similar to the original trilogy and you don't really hear much about the politics in the original trilogy like you you hear there's a senate and you and you don't know how much influence they have you just know that these guys are bad and they're in control of the galaxy and these guys are trying to fight them and that's what they tried to do with the sequels but the problem was they were starting from a place where the good guys were in power mm-hmm you can't really not explain it then because it's just confusing. Because like, what happened to them? Why are they all gone? Exactly. Like, why are we in this situation? But exactly. if the bad guys are in control, you just carry on. It doesn't matter. You don't really have to explain it. There's bad guys and they, they're everywhere. Exactly. And, and that's why Force Awakens, to me, has always been a bit of a sore spot. Because the last we saw, the, the good guys had just won again. They just fought for three movies to take the galaxy back. And then we start off from the ground zero again. And it's like, what happened? You know, I mean, I know there's 20 years that are 29 years that have gone by, but I mean, it would be nice to have seen that stuff on screen. Uh, thank you very much. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those political intrigue, right? Yeah. Something, you know, and they, the, the, the little bits that they had politically in there was, uh, was chopped out as, as, uh, yeah, I agree, Ben. Vote now. Vote, Vote now. now. <laughs> yeah. Is any of you guys have any last things for Phantom Menace? No. All right. Let's move on to Attack of the Clones here. I'll kick things off with Speeder Chase. Well done, Speeder Chase. And I think this is the number one on my list because of all the talk about these chases and these shows having not been Wait, up to expectations. Yeah, the Coruscant Speeder Chase yeah. with Kenobi and, and, and Skywalker uh, going through the city streets. 
uh, such a great example of a good speeder chase and uh, you know good, what? or just a good chase in general. You know what the problem is? I just realized now because this speeder chase was so good and we hear George's line when he's talking to actors over and over again. That's what they're missing in the new series. <laughs> Faster, more intense. Faster and more intense. Yeah, that's advice that was not given to the actors on screen. I don't think in these, that was the uh, problem. <laughs> yeah, no, the, it's it's uh, it's so true. And you know what? Like doing a, doing a, a chase scene in an environment in which they did, which was the blue screen, um, with today's technology, with the volume stagecraft technology. I mean, uh, there's there's almost no excuse for not having a good chase scene. Um, depending on how they decide to film it. And, and I think the downside to a lot of, uh, of filming practically, you know, with people running around physically with a camera or uh, putting it on a rig or something, is that you're limited to how much space you have to actually physically have your actors run from point A to point B. So um, that, I think, has definitely been felt uh, through the Book of Boba speeder chase as well as the chase in the forest with, with young Leia. Um, you know, if anyone didn't like those chases, that that's it's because it was just filmed differently than the speeder chase was in Attack of the Clones. So there are some advantages to filming on green screen still. And let's not forget, all the Marvel movies are done 100% in a green room still. So, <laughs> you know what? That's definitely something to keep in mind. They can still be done well. Um, but yeah, what's uh, what's the next thing on, on or the first thing on your list, Blake? Uh, that we finally got to see what the clone army looked like. Oh, wait, that's a great one. Yeah. Yeah, because we had, it would have been this point, like 30 years where you just hear this off the cuff line from Obi Wan talking to Luke, like, oh, I fought in the Clone Wars as well as your father, right? Yeah. And then that's all we're given. And then we finally see the, the grand army of the Republic, see all the clones and their design, and realize that they were based on Boba Fett the whole time. This is also loosely on my list as well. And uh, it also makes me think of that um, article that we read from that really old magazine, which was someone was speculating back in 1978 yeah. what the Clone Wars was. It was such a fantastic, unique article to read. And I know Darian, uh, uh, one of our uh, our returning group every week, um, you know, he uh, uh, provided this, uh, this magazine to me, which I I've thought was just a fantastic find. Uh, so, you know, thank you again to him for, for providing that. That was great source material. Um, yeah. So anyone who hasn't listened to that, that you definitely check that episode out. But um, yeah, definitely an eye-opening experience. I mean, the Clone Wars, like, what is the Clone Wars? Like, <laughs> yeah, so it was 30 yeah. years of speculation, right? Like fans, probably, I bet you people had their own Star Wars d d campaigns based in the Clone Wars that had nothing to do with what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's a fantastic one to bring up. Uh, Ellen, what's uh, what's on your list here? Um, so the first one on my list is the romance between Padme and Anakin. I nice. So my first like exposure to Star Wars was I was watching the Sci-Fi Channel where they do like the Star Wars marathon, and I watched the ending of Attack of the Clones. I watched the wedding scene, and I was like, I don't know what this is, but I need to watch it. So I immediately then started watching Watch Revenge of the Sith, which is my first full Star Wars movie. Um, but yeah, there's just something about that romance and then watching the tech clones in full. It's just understanding how honestly toxic that relationship was and like understanding why when you finish Phantom Menace, you don't understand why Anakin really becomes Darth Vader and like watching that romance and watching even Padme can't save him mm -hmm. when he, it, yeah, it's just, 
Yeah, the forbidden, such- the forbidden love or the uh, the forbidden fruit, I guess, being a Jedi, you know, it's, uh, um, it, it's, it's such a, it, it is the reason, part of the reason why he turns to the dark side is for, for that, right? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that is a great one to bring up. And, you know, for a lot of people, it could be the, the, the cringe part of watching that movie. Yeah, but- and that's a common, common story. It's just the, uh, the dialogue that goes through there. So Right. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, though. I'm gra- glad that it's on your list because, because it's such a, um, you know, sore spot for, for a lot of people. Yeah, I never thought I ever would have heard someone say that's what got them into the, the franchise. It, <laughs> it honestly did. I was 12 years old and I was like, I loved like romance and I just watched the ending and I was like, I need to see this film. I need to find a guy with a creepy skeleton hand. Yeah. yeah you know, that's what all girls want. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you live in the dream. You guys are crossing <laughs> off all the things on my list. This is, that was on my list too. It was, it was Anakin and Padme, uh, the forbidden love. So I do want to add to that. Cause it's kind of connected is I think one of the, the best songs John Williams ever wrote is uh, Across the Stars, which is the romance song from Attack yeah. of the Clones. It's just so good. That's it, right. It just gets me the feels every time. It's just so well orchestrated. It's a very powerful mm-hmm. so, uh, so piece. Yeah, yeah, very much. Um, ben, what's what's on yours, man? Um, I mean, okay, I'm going to preface that almost all of mine are just like world building scenes. I think that's what set. I think that's what made the prequels for me the, like really good is I think like the worlds felt very alive. And so my first one is uh, just Camino. I really like, um, I got into Star Wars actually through playing Star Wars Battlefront 2 on my PS2. Um, I got into most of my, my series through actually video games. And I loved playing as the clones. And so just the Camino scenes, also just like the kind of intrigue, the mystery elements I liked, but just, it just felt big. And mm. everything felt very big, like how many people, and I was like, well, this is, things are heating up. So I think I just really like the clones and that was my favorite part there. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great, you know, the world building obviously in the, in the prequels is insane. Uh, you know, it, it did wonders for the expanse of the Star Wars galaxy and, and uh, without, without, uh, um, I mean, the original trilogy does, does a great job at providing planets that have uh, biomes very similar to earth. Um, and with the uh, the further imp- improvements of, of digital technology, you know, being able to create worlds that don't exist just added so much. So, yeah, that is a great one to bring up for sure is the prequels did do some insane galaxy uh, world building uh, that uh, the saga kind of needed to, to just get to the size that it is. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's a great one. Um I've got uh, Count Duco on my list because, uh, you know, I mean, Christopher Lee, I mean, he's just such a great villain. Uh, you know, any fans of Lord of the Rings will will, will uh, attest to that as well. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he plays this, this, he plays a villain in which we, we, we've never really had a villain quite like Count Dooku in Star Wars before. He is um, a very mysterious character when we meet him and uh you know someone who used to be a jedi respectable yeah Yeah. as opposed to the over the top yes evil kind of villain that we normally get absolutely yeah there's a sense of honor in him yeah and and he's he's not a a broken villain like anakin right and and it's a broken character like anakin skywalker who becomes uh, this shattered kind of monster as of darth vader um but count dooku is a great example of um, how he just thought so differently 
that he was willing to leave the order for political matters. And then he turned to the dark side because he was pulled in by um, all the things that come with that, right? With the, the selfishness and the greed. Um, but this is a man who craves uh, power, obviously, like anyone on the dark side. And, uh, you know, just a very different mindset than the standard, uh, you know, it makes him so different than than Anakin, who is uh, this very passionate character. And Obi-Wan kind of mentions that to Leia, that, that his her father was quite passionate. He's a very passionate guy. And, uh, you know, I, I can't really say the same about Count Dooku. He's, he's more of a... Uh, um, very stoic, political-minded kind of person. So, yeah, he was on my list. He's just he just highlights of the movie. Uh, you know, very famous lightsaber duel at the very end. You know, so great curved lightsaber hilt. It all adds to the to the to the category. So, yeah, that's that's on my list. Uh, Blake, what do you got? Uh, my number two is this is kind of a, a continuation from number one. I guess is the first thing I always think of when I think of Attack of the Clones. Is the the battle of Geonosis? Yeah, the, sure yeah, the, clo- the Clone Wars begin. That's, that's the last thing on my list. Yeah, uh, it's so cool though, yeah. and like the the first time we see uh, blaster bolts are like glowing, right? You see them through the sand, oh, everywhere. Beautiful and, shots. Yeah, and this is the largest scene that I think we've ever had as far as just a full scale battle. Like you get mm-hmm. some of it in Revenge of the Sith, but. It's really choppy, like you see, like a shot and then you leave. Right? It's certainly bigger than the Gungan War on Naboo. Yeah, very, very mm-hmm. vast. Yeah, that's just so cool. Yeah. I just watched that, just the end sequence over and over again. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. They, they did those those flyover videos for like desktop savers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on like Disney Plus. They should just have the Geonosis battle on the loops. So yeah, no, they, they, you're right. Yeah, they totally should. They should do another biome season where you you witness battles from uh, another perspective. You know, someone's got to send that into Disney Plus, uh, you know, feedback. <laughs> Ellen, what what do you got? Yeah, I've got the like creatures in Attack of Clones. So especially like the gladiator scene with like um, the kind of dinosaur looking thing, yeah, the rhino, yeah. and then earlier on Naboo the with like the cows. I just, I loved all of those. I just thought it, it definitely ties back to like um, Return of the Jedi with um, in yeah, Jabba's palace. Yeah. And yeah, it was just cool to have like new big monster creatures. Yeah, that's that's definitely so. I think I feel like if Bryce was here, he would probably bring that up. Is uh, I feel like it's it, it's definitely kind of ties into the world building experience. But really, Star Wars monsters have always been a big thing ever since Return of the Jedi. I feel like and in the Wampa, um, you know, and mm-hmm. and in the, in the Episode Four, we got the Dianoga and the in the Death Star and the uh, the trash oh, compactor. Yeah. I'll just yeah. say Episode Four, we get the Jawas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, but you, no, you're totally right. I mean, you know, creatures have always been a big thing in Phantom Menace. We get the big fish and, uh, you know, it, it, so yeah, this was, this was just the next iteration of, of adding cool monsters to the Star Wars series. So yeah, that's a great one to bring up. Uh, Blake, what do you, what do you got? Did we miss Ben? Um, uh, oh, ben, oh, sorry. Yeah. Ben, Ben, what do you got? Um, I mean, kind of in your side, the I like specifically with Count Dooku, the Count Dooku and Obi Wan like chat that they have, mm-hmm. um, and stuff. I also think Count Dooku was one of my favorite characters. Um, I think I just I love how yeah, kind of like anti. He he, I think like how like the flaws of the Republic, and he, I think he sees it the most clearly where it's like 
look at all the problems it has. Like they allowed, they allow like a very robust slave trade under their noses. Um, and one of my like favorite quotes, even though now it's legends is from like a book a while back was on how like, you know, the main problem that like with the, with the Jedi orders, like Yoda and look how like entrenched they are and how like comfortable they are. And they don't see the, they're not looking adequately at the corruption in the Republic and stuff. And yeah, right. I think Count Dooku and Obi-Wan, which is two of my favorite characters chatting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, um, I love the Clone Wars arc where he actually references that chat that they had on Geonosis, mm-hmm. um, Count Dooku that is. And uh, it, it's such a cool acknowledgement to the fact that he tells Obi-Wan everything he needs to know to try and sway him over to his side. And it, and it doesn't quite work the way he expects. But um, again, it, it, such a, another character moment there for Dooku. And uh, yeah, it, it just adds into that whole that whole ordeal of, of Dooku being such a great villain. Yeah, because um, you never know in that chat whether to believe him or not. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like he's just flat out using the truth to just sway Obi-Wan over to, it's, it's nothing deceptive. You know, he's not, he's not trying to snake his way around people like what Sidious does. He is a flat out, this is the truth, the honest, you know, bare bones kind of real world situation that we're in. Here's, here you go. It gives just flat out, right? And there, there's no BS. There's no nothing like that. And that's what he uses to try and turn people over to his side. And that's, I think, why people love him so much. Because let's not forget, he he convinces half the galaxy to follow him, you know, politically to uh, to break away from the Republic, right? Like that's got to account for something. Um, and he's such a crucial character when it comes to uh, well, allowing point. the Clone Wars I, to happen. I always always forget that that he really was the political head honcho for that. Yeah, really just see him it's it's in the, the opening crawl. The yeah, exactly. We always see him in the yeah. Sith role, but yeah, it's in the opening crawl of the movie where it and says. More so, uh, attack of the clones yeah yeah in, sorry, in, sorry, uh, the clone wars animated series you actually see him being a politician at the councils of the all the federation yes i'm sorry all the yeah. separatist groups exactly yeah yeah the heroes on both sides episode in the clone wars was great that was in season three um and i loved that lens that we got on the character because uh, yeah it just adds so much more depth um but yeah i mean definitely going back to your your thing about obi-wan and, and dooku yeah ace moment for sure Blake, what do you got? So I got one that I think kind of flies under the radar unless you're a big Mandalorian fan. And it says this was a huge rewriting to the Star Wars mythos, and that's Boba becoming a clone. Yeah. 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 That because was... it's 30 years of he was just this badass self-made bounty hunter to now he's just a guy walking around in his dad's shoes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, um, and um, you're – this is on your list of things that you like about about the character, yeah, or about the movie. I, 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 this was more of like a big transitionary point in the Star Wars mythos. Like it's something that I think really stands out in the film. Yeah. Um, as far as like how the how the film affected the overall franchise, as to if I like it or not, I I didn't like it when it came out, but I think with everything that's come out since then, I like it more now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's also a decision that aged well. Um, you know, I can feel I can feel there's definitely some uh, some uh, some backlash towards it initially, but 
um, when, when his father dies, he, he's really lost his, um, as, uh, John Favreau would say his North star for, you know, guiding him into that position, right. Of being, a, the, the galaxy's biggest, baddest bounty hunter. Um, and with all the new stories that we've had since with Clone Wars and, uh, of course the book of Boba Fett and uh, all the stories in between, um, it's really created this new narrative for Boba to really, so we, we were able to see him get to that point and, and it's really made him his own character, you know, and, and much like how Luke is, uh, um, we like Luke because of who he becomes over the course of his own story, not just because he's the son of Anakin Skywalker, you know, he, if, if that was the, like, it's almost like, uh, um, it's almost like why we all tend to not like the reason why Ray is a Palpatine. Um, I thought that, you know, and I'll have my issues with those movies, but I thought she was a good character without needing that relationship, you know? And um, I I feel like making that relationship happen just felt forced, unnecessary, and people liked her without that being a thing. And uh, Yeah, I think that was exactly how I felt about the initial boba change yeah yeah exactly yeah so so it's definitely nice to see stories being added to the saga that just truly kind of flesh out you know he's not important or liked because he's this guy's son right he's he's his own character he's his own man he gets there on his own and uh he's different right and i think the biggest thing for me that's changed over time is i think the stories that came out of him yeah, losing his father, not knowing, like, kind of being lost in the underworld, not really knowing how to how to go about this persona and all this legacy that he carries. But on top of that, he's living in a galaxy where there's millions of people that have his face. Like, yeah. what, a, what a bizarre way to live. Oh, yeah, yeah. Be- yeah, it's, it, it's crazy. It, like, and so great that they put that in the show, too, in the Clone Wars, you know, and when he's a young kid, um, when he's, like, insistent when the others, he hates it when the others call him brother. You know, it's just like this grimace on his face. He's like, I'm not your brother, <laughs> you know, because he knows yeah, he's exactly. more. He knows he's more. He knows he's his father's son. But um, I, he hates the fact that other people share his face for sure. Uh, but it just adds and to the character. I'm just just dawning on me now. But, you know, the original Boba never took his helmet off. That was like his thing. That's what became the Mandalorian yeah. code, whatever. Yeah, it might add Maybe into he it. never he never takes his, his helmet off because he knows he just looks like a clone. He doesn't want people to see him as that. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know he hates it when uh, the Bo-Katan's comrade in, in the Mandalorian, or no, it's Bo-Katan herself, actually, who who says, uh, you're not a Mandalorian. You know, you're a clone. I've heard that voice thousands of times. Um, and yeah. you can tell he doesn't like that very much. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, Ellen, let's go back to you. Do you have anything left on your list? No, I don't have anything left for this movie. Ben, what about you? Um. I had one of just the uh, the Coruscant homeworld, um, not Coruscant homeworld. So the Coruscant underground. Um, I've just I thought it was a really cool world building part in there, and like I think I really like cities that feel alive. And I thought that mm-hmm. was I really like that. Um, and then Anakin and the Tusken Raiders. Um, I I'm a, as I said, I really like the uh, Shimi and Anakin dynamic and Anakin with with her death I, I thought was pretty good oh yeah. yeah that was such a big scene yeah I'm glad you brought that one up for sure that's uh that's a huge part of the movie and uh something that ties really well with the Phantom Menace and that again that young innocent boy that has to leave his mother behind right um so yeah really really good scene I and and uh, uh, such a great 
uh, s- sequence to show off Hayden's acting ability. He does a, such mm-hmm. a good job. So, um, yeah. Uh, Blake, what's left on your list? Or, and then we'll hit Revenge of the Sith here. Uh, the last ones I got here are seeing that Jar Jar got demoted pretty heavily in this film. <laughs> so, so you like the idea that we, you like the fact that we didn't see him as much. Hmm. Or just you want to make note of it as like, hey, this is a very important part of the film. It's, it is because I feel like it was, uh, it was, that's more so I think the case because it was something that I don't think was originally planned. But from the backlash of the Phantom Menace, I think George was forced to, to remove him from the main story arc. Mm-hmm. So he's still involved. He obviously is the uh, the fatal flaw that gives. You know, Sidious or Palpatine, the supreme chancellor powers. Yeah, right? yeah, but yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I, uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the same boat in the sense, uh, not that I've ever not liked Jar Jar, and I, I know you, you like, you know, the character, you know, as much as I do, probably, but, um, I feel like the movie would have felt very different if he was main character. You know, like it would not be the same movie at all. And no, uh, by, by shifting him to a back seat, it allowed us more time mm-hmm. with the Anakin Padme relationship. It allowed us more time with Obi-Wan's investigation into the whole clone ordeal. And, uh, and that's just what served this, the purpose of the story. So whether it was fan backlash or not, that, that allowed that character to take the back seat. I'm, uh, I'm just thankful that we got the movie we got. And, uh, you know, it is one of the longer ones. Um, and sometimes with, just how much that movie packs in, it almost feels like it could be longer to explain just a few more things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's certainly just a, I guess one of those things to to note. I guess it's like whether it's a positive or negative thing, uh, definitely a, a more notable aspect of that film. Big difference. Um, yeah, for sure. Revenge of the Sith. I mean, we're the, the final film in the trilogy. Um, I'm going to kick off things by saying, uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan. I mean, you know, Ellen, I know you brought it up earlier when we were talking about Kenobi. This was one of my favorite things about the movie. I remember when the movie, uh, uh, kicks off and we get the, uh, the flying in sequence of the two, uh, the two Jedi on the way to rescue the chancellor and, uh, really just showcased the relation, the new relationship that they had and the new dynamic that they've got in, in this movie. And, uh, it was quite quite a different feeling than the Obi-Wan that always scolded Anakin all the time for stuff. It was more of an equal relationship. And especially when we see Anakin take out Dooku, uh, definitely changed the whole weight of uh, who's got who's back, <laughs> you know, um, literally. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. What about you, Blake? Yeah, just to go off of that, the the final duel at the end, like, come on. Yeah, it's like the most yeah. like iconic part, right? When you finally see uh, Vader come to life, and it can turn to the dark side, and then Obi Wan forced to confront him. I feel like that—that that is the movie in a nutshell, really. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And Anakin's fall is definitely on my list, of course. Uh, with with Order sixty six, the whole the whole ordeal, you know, and we talked about it extensively. But uh, yeah, that's that's definitely one on one on my list. Um, what about you, Ellen? Yeah, my first on my list is the music of Revenge of the Sith. I think of all the Star Wars movies, like I love Duel of Fates, but the music from beginning to end is so strong. And just like the emotional weight the music brings to the film, it's like, it makes me cry every time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's my favorite Star Wars movie soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, I I would agree there. 
I can't believe that's actually somehow that I, that slipped my mind. It ended up not being on my list, but um, but you know I'm gonna retroactively put it on there. <laughs> yeah, Ben, what about you? Um, I mean, I think I feel bad for for blowing this one, blowing this one literally. I know you did say um, Anakin Obi Wan, but specifically just like the end of the fight of just the pain in in Obi Wan having to having to leave him there and having to have him die. Mm. Um, I think it's something that something that I always go back to. This was for, yeah, just like, hey, I loved you. I just want to know that as I have to kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there, yeah, yeah. The, the 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 pure tragedy in that movie is just it's just endless. You know, all this just one moment after the next, which mm-hmm. is just like a heartbreaking um, downfall of this character who we all care about so much over the course of uh, that series and and seeing what obi-wan has to go through which all you know just makes this whole obi-wan kenobi show so much more important is the end of that movie mm-hmm. so yeah that's a great one uh what about you blake just, oh i was gonna add because that was also my list as well so i was just gonna add to what ben was saying there yeah uh, the fact that obi-wan just like leaves anakin to burn in the lava and doesn't have the i guess the the willpower to finish him off and this said through i guess his inability to do what he needs to brings this great evil onto the galaxy for like 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay. To be fair, there's, you're on this remote mining planet. You're leaving a guy <laughs> with no limbs burned to death. You're never like, ah, oh, man, nah, 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 nah. He's coming back. I agree with you a little bit, but I also think that there has to be a little That perspective, yes. But to me, it's more that Anakin, who is his brother, is there. He's burning yeah. alive and he's screaming. Yeah. And you just you walk away. I, I don't think I can I do agree. that. I think more so it's like, yeah, he couldn't bring himself to do it, even though it probably would have been even better for Anakin to have died. Oh, better for even, everyone involved, I think. Yeah, but even mm-hmm. if he does die burning to death, I think that's a way tougher way to go than... Uh, oh, yeah. Unquestionably. Yeah 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 no that's a, that's definitely a crucial moment and um uh i feel like i feel like the first time i remember when i saw the movie for the first time in the theater and uh just i had this this i don't i don't know if any of you guys have, have had this feeling when watching a star wars movie for the first time in the theater um when something happens and you're just so overly gratified um almost like almost like you just ran a five kilometer race or something like that in one first place you know it's it's just this winning moment when you see something just done right on the big screen for the star wars series and and i remember seeing the sequence when vader kind of gets the the suit put on after this terrible tragedy experience and seeing that paralleled with with padme's birth of the twins and uh, it was just so so good and the whole the cinematography aspect of that whole sequence just amazing and uh the uh the music again going back to that john williams soundtrack ordeal that you had on your list ellen was just uh you know plays such a big part into bringing the feeling out of those those uh sequences as well um i'm gonna put one uh, uh just a small one here was dooku's fall which really is kind of the small little pebble that sets Anakin off weight, you know, finally, after all this time in the Clone Wars, seeing the buildup of this character leading to the downfall, this was just kind of one of those last little drops in the bucket to tip the scale. And um, it's a very brief fight. And I feel like 
it's not exactly it's not exactly a highlight of the movie for almost anyone just because it's just so fast and it's at the beginning and they kind of just get it over with to get the story going. Um, but I think that's why it's on my list is because it's the thing that gets the story going. And um, as brief as it is, it kind of makes me think back to, I, I've grown to appreciate that fight a little more as time has gone by. And um, it makes me think of the reason why the fight between uh, Maul and Obi-Wan later in, in Rebels really is so crucial and so fast because uh, they, they just know each other. These characters fight all the time. They know each other so well, the moves and everything. Um, it just shortens the length to have a, um, it shortens the need to have a lengthy fight. And uh, really the weight on his decision to just kill Count Dooku, um, who's sitting there on his knees with no hands um, is, uh, is, is a really big deal. And it's definitely not the decision that Ray decides to make when she's faced with the same decision with Palpatine standing in front of her, begging her to kill him. Uh, so, you know, it, it's really a big character moment for Anakin Skywalker. And that's why it's on my list. Um, and uh, I guess we'll go back to you, Blake. Is there anything else on your list? Okay. So I have to go back to 10 year old Blake here. And remember when the trailer came out for Avenger the Sith, I thought General Grievous was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my whole <laughs> life. We all. Oh, this just like cyborg bone white robot. It was just like, yeah. oh, it was just so cool. I had a giant poster of him on my bedroom wall. I used to just stare at it thinking it was such a cool design. Yeah. And inspired me especially, to make many lightsaber you watch, designs. Uh, the old Clone Wars 2D show. He's a oh yeah, demon in the night just killing Dude. Jedi like it's uh, so easy. That's one of my biggest like I guess regrets of the Star Wars franchise is that they changed Grievous from that original version where he was just like this horror film villain. It was amazing. Like he was a he was a Jedi killer, right? He was made for that purpose. And we don't really get that in the new animated series. I mean, I get they needed some some like you know monster of the week kind of bad guy, and it's for a younger audience, I think, but. Man, it was so cool. Yeah, he was. I love that you have a, such an appreciation for that character because I've I've always loved Grievous as well. He's just there's nothing else like him. You know, there there's no other character like him in the saga, and um and and he's definitely a great character to have through the course of the Clone Wars to just pin all that uh uh the the, the you know the villain that that we don't really have a whole lot of respect for, but we all think is really cool. Um, and, and I think it allows a good reason for, for a, a villain to fail, you know, every, every odd week. Right. Which is kind of one of the challenges. I know we've talked yeah. about it before with Vader and rebels, you know, they wanted to use him sparingly because they didn't want to make him look incompetent all the time. But Grievous yeah, is that saying, incompetent hey, hey. runaway coward, yeah. right. That Mace Windu described. He did used to be. In fact, he, he was the replacement for Asajj Ventress. That was his original design. So in the, in the, in the EU, you mean? Yeah. yeah, so the, the yeah. Sajj Ventress was Dooku's, uh, you can call it like uh, commander apprentice, or whatever. But she yeah. was really more of a Sith assassin. Yeah. And after Anakin killed her, Grievous showed up, and he was also trained in the in the ways of, of lightsaber dueling right. through Dooku. But then in the series, they just made him this kind of a, a bumbling commander. Yeah, yeah. I don't he like him any less, though. That's assassin. the thing. He's still really cool. I still love Grievous. Um, but you're right. The, the, the 3D animated show definitely kind of reduced the um, the threat level, I think, that, that Grievous yeah. has uh, with the but Jedi. But his design is still super cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah. I love the voice too. It, you know, Matthew Wood does great. <laughs> Kenobi. <laughs> um, I, so the last thing on my list is Yoda and Sidious. Um, we get uh, an echoed Duel of the Fates theme uh, reorchestrated once again for this movie. It's played once again in this duel. And what makes this duel special for me is uh, that the whole thing takes place in the Senate chamber. And uh, over the course of the three-year Clone Wars ordeal and this whole galactic downfall that happens, um, you see the, the parallel of, the, uh, of that political crumbling in the location where this lightsaber duel is taking place between the pinnacles of light and, and dark. And uh, you have those representative figures with, with Yoda representing the, the, the chairman of the Jedi, if you will, with, with Sidious representing you know, the, the, the master of all Sith at this point. And, um, and, and I love that these, these two peaks in power have clashed in the part, in, in, the, in the very place in which the galaxy has been slowly deceived into ripping itself apart. And uh, it's such a great visual storytelling, um, especially backed with the, with the theme of the duel of fates. Um, it, it's, just, uh, it's just storytelling that will uh, always be um, unbelievably uh, well thought out. Uh, yeah, what do you got, Blake? What's your next one? Does anyone else have any other things on the list? For list. Yeah, one last one. that goes for anyone. Yeah, any any last things on the list? Yeah. I mean, I go with mine. If we can, Blake wants to save his dramatic reveal. Mine comes back to Star Wars Battlefront 2 because um, that's how I got into Star Wars. And it was um, just Anakin walking up to the Jedi Temple. Um, and just, I remember that seems so vividly in the game and it was just uh, watching it. It's like, it's just incredibly menacing. Yeah. Um, you probably love that scene in the Obi-Wan series then, hey, right at the opening. Yeah. The continuation yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, whoa, 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 you know, giving you the PTSD, but no, I mean, that's really sad. I really like being a clone. <laughs> it was like, that was always the part of the game where I like played through the game, um, multiple times. And it was always the part of the game where it's like, okay. That's the end of the clones, who are my favorite part. And I was like, I guess we're we're now the stormtroopers now. Um, yeah, now we're bad guys. So it was, it was very bittersweet to me. Um, but yeah, I think that, that was just just the walk up the stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my last. Uh, Ellen, sorry. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Oh. I was gonna say my last one on my list is just. Um, I would say this movie really made Sidious why he was a true villain. Like, yeah. I think it was like, it showed all the pieces. It connected it so well. And just how, yeah, the, like that line that's always quoted, the thunderous applause is how democracy dies. And it's like just the power that he was able to get and how, when the empire was started, it wasn't a sad thing for mm, most yeah. of the population. It was a good thing for them. Right. And that's why the rebellion is small in the new hope and blah, blah. So yeah, I was just say, this movie really made Sidious showed why he is the ultimate Sith. Yeah, no, totally. That's a great one. Um, yeah. I mean, a guy who was uh, elected <laughs> by the people, right. Um, also is one of my favorite parts of Obi-Wan and just like them talking about like the empire before everyone hates the empire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, you know, uh, it, this whole, the whole 
I mean, I brought it up with when we were talking about Phantom Menace, but like this whole political aspect of the trilogy, it adds so much and really is just such a big weight on the story that, uh, like in a, in a good way, it's, it's, it's a much needed weight that the story brings to, uh, not only expanding the, the galaxy as a, as a whole, but, uh, really gives context and reason for all of this stuff. War doesn't just come out of nowhere. You know, war is caused by, uh, by, uh, by political powers, right? And uh, it, with with some reason behind why the clash is going on, you know. And and so you know, again, seeing seeing Palpatine, you know, come to full fruition, have that mask reveal uh, when he uh, uh, faces Mace Windu, and, and we really see his true colors in that fight uh, at the very end when when the lightning kind of goes back full on in his face and. You know, we get barbecue, barbecue Palpatine. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's it's almost like that was. I mean, it's, it's uh, seeing the original trilogy and what he has been. Um, it almost makes that even more special to really see the full reveal of what we we know this character to be. That's the the Palpatine that that is. Did underneath. you like that transition? By the I, way? I loved the, it. I loved it. I he loved lightnings the, himself in the face to look like he's a thousand years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, uh, I I thought it was it was really uh, well thought out. I mean, um, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if I, do you not like it or or. Uh, well, I know I had speculated a lot with friends back home, like as the film was about to come out, and we always thought that he was using some sort of sith force power to like disguise himself and he really was this really old decrepit sith lord right right yeah yeah and then we find out that he just barbecued himself <laughs> yeah i guess <laughs> i guess that would uh, reduce well I, I guess like in the story though i mean um that's certainly uh, uh, just a way to look at it because realistically i mean this ugly person is what lies beneath you know this ugly person is what lies beneath that that very kind of uh, well held together Senator Palpatine that people have come to like, right? Um, and because he's not the same as Dooku, you know, and, and if he was Dooku, there would be something uglier underneath. But this guy is the worst of all, you know, he's, he's oh, yeah. the, he is the evil in the galaxy. And so uh, to see this, uh, this uh, mask being peeled away with, with, uh, you know, this defense of the light side is, is, almost, is just, I don't know, it's just, I thought, I've always thought it was very good visual storytelling. Um, but yeah, fair uh, enough. yeah, that, that, uh, I guess that sums up, uh, revenge of the Sith and, uh, well, we didn't even talk about how this is the best opening of all 11 films. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, if that's on your, yeah, of course. I oh mean. yeah. Cause like to me, this, they, they nailed it, especially when they get the war drums going with the classic stuff. Definitely the most exciting opening. Yeah. So cool. Like they, the new films, they, Hold a candle to it. It's the it's hands down the best one. It is. It is absolutely the best opening. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, the theme, like you say, that with the war drums, um, so good. You know, it's hard to find a copy of that that theme. I remember searching online for so long because the the the, uh, the record they released. It just had the regular Star Wars theme. It didn't have the war drum. So I think they added that in post, like Skywalker Sound did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you can find it on YouTube. Some people have slightly removed the sound effects and the, and the dialogue, but it's a little muddled. Um, yeah. Still, you can kind of hear it still. But yeah, there's no official release for that version of the, um, the theme, which is but too let's bad. Let's pull it up. 
Pull but, it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just give, just give me a second here. I, yeah, it's so good. Like, I, I don't know why they didn't reuse it more. Like, it, it's just, it's such a cool, like, uh, combination that really just, like, sells, like, this giant galactic battle. Because we don't really see, I think, even a space battle in that same level again. I mean, you get, like, the... The... This is it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, like, the opening to what people consider the final film. Yeah. At the time, it, it was, right? Like, um, this was the last... The, the I remember it being marketed with the, the sub-phrase, um, the circle is complete. And uh, that, right. that was what was on the, the box sets at Costco back in the day. Like... <laughs> On the posters and everything. Was yeah. that on like the, uh, the the box of cookies? Circle is complete. Yeah, the circle is complete. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was uh, it was a great marketing, um, great marketing trope or, or quote or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as I was saying there, like we don't really get a space battle on that level again. Like with that, like that many on each side. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It, it's never been a, there's never been a space battle quite as detailed and vast as, as that. I mean, I want to say the, uh, um, the, the, the battle above Endor was, was quite well done as well with all the ships flying mm -hmm. around and stuff. But I mean, obviously the technology has improved so much. They were able to add everything, including the kitchen sink. Literally well, they had a model of a kitchen sink flying and hitting one of the ships that they disguised as nice. a missile. And, and yeah, it's a fu <laughs> funny thing that they always bring up in behind the scenes, but uh, yeah, they threw in everything. I, I'm, I'm thinking the Return of the Jedi. How many like cruisers did they have? Wasn't it just like they had the Mon Cal, like uh, yeah. cruiser, and then just some frigates, right? They had whole, yeah, yeah. They, they had some Mon Calamari frigates, and yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, but yeah, to, to reference like what Ellen said, I mean, you know, it's it's the rebellion, right? It's it's a much smaller. Yeah group oh right? yeah for sure um so yeah it's definitely unique seeing such a vast space battle much like how we've never seen anything quite like the battle of geonosis on screen yeah um yeah yeah the detail and the, the vastness to to uh defending the home the home base of the republic you know uh there's definitely going to be a lot of people there so it was that's definitely a cool a cool battle for sure um any last things to bring up on this one before we shift gears one more time before the end of the episode think that's a good one no. okay sweet uh so let's uh let's talk about andor because that's right around the corner and uh you know there's there's a slew of star wars shows coming out on disney plus um it's absolutely insane uh i pulled up something about andor which i'm gonna really quickly read off here um uh, because uh, we're running uh we're running pretty long on time here so yeah um, this, uh, this says, uh, this is from the, one of the creators of the show revealed a, a bit of a plan that they have for Andor in the very recent empire magazine that got released with the, uh, avatar Two cover and, uh, Andor was featured in there as, uh, as another, another subject that they, that they talked about. So they said that the first season uh, or sorry, the whole show, um, Cassian Andor, was going to be about the rising rebellion and the height of the Empire's powers. Uh, it's going to be a story that spans five years, the first year of which will be explored in the 12-episode first season, starting this August, um, with a now-confirmed second season that also consists of 12 episodes spanning the rest of the four years, leaving a total of the five-year story. 
um, which will leave 24 episodes telling a story that takes place over the course of five years. Uh, that's new information that has not come out yet, um, but uh, kind of exciting news and, and really something new that hasn't been done in a Star Wars series just yet with this extended story taking over, uh, you know, two seasons of a show. Do you guys have any thoughts on this? I'm really curious that they're like doing one year being 12 episodes and then all of a sudden it's like three episodes is a year. I find that mm -hmm. really interesting. It seems a little bit like the Clone, War, uh, Clone Wars animated series of doing arcs, like a three episode arc, which I think is interesting to kind of bring back because I don't believe they've done that in any of the live action shows really. Right. Yeah. No, that's definitely a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. How are they going to do that without... I guess it's close enough. I was going to say, like, because there's not much time gaps. How do you show someone aging that quickly? So it just mm. doesn't feel like the next day. Yeah. Um, so there's there's some slight more detail on that. So he, um, uh, Tony, I think it's Tony Gilroy is uh, one of the showrunners. He says the scale of this show is so huge. And then he goes on to say directors work in blocks of three episodes so we did four blocks uh, in season one of three episodes each. Um, and that shooting schedule led organically into season two's different structure where we said, wow, it would be really interesting if we come back and we use each block to represent a year. We'll move a year closer with each block, he says. From a narrative point of view, it's really exciting to be able to work on something where you do a Friday, Saturday and Sunday and then jump a year. Um, for all that it's spanning multiple years within the Rebellion and the Empire and supporting characters including, uh, of course, Genevieve O'Reilly returning as Mon Mothma and uh, Stellan Skarsgård's brand new character Luthen. Um, the through line here remains Andor himself with Luna promising a more character-focused story this time around uh, compared to, you know, of course, Rogue One, which we didn't really get a whole lot of t chance to get to know the characters. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that was the whole article. But uh, yeah, that, I guess the whole story arc thing, you know, bringing that up, I mean, that's a cool element that this show has, which none of the other shows have, like you said, um, Ellen, because um, that's something that I've always appreciated about Clone Wars was the story arc narrative, you know, being able to prolong a story. That's something that Rebels really mm -hmm. didn't really do that I feel like it was a bit of a downside to not being able to um, tell a lengthier story uh, week to week, you know. Uh, just doing all these one shots every week was, was, uh, I don't know. I've always been a bit iffy on Exhausting. It. Yeah. It's just a bit almost too fast paced. Right. But, uh, that's, that's Andor around the corner. I know Ellen, are you, uh, you're excited for this show? I'm excited. Yeah. Rogue One is definitely my favorite movie that Disney has released. It's taking over Star Wars. So nice. Yeah. I'm excited to see. And also I like how, like much space they have of like yes they do need to tie it into rogue one but it i'm excited to see where the storyline goes because i really don't really have much inkling on what they're going to do with it mm -hmm. just yet so i'm really excited for that yeah no that's 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 definitely a um yeah rogue one is is certainly people's favorites uh from time to time as i know it's i know it's uh other ben's uh, favorite star wars movie that disney's done so um yeah Ben, what what is your opinion yeah. on Andor? Um, I I personally am a little bit worried about just like overinflating the market of Star Wars um, TV shows, um, and I think I, I think the idea of two 
TV shows a year might be a bit much. Um, it kind of takes out like the, the the specialty of it. That being said, I think it looks pretty good. Um, and I also think that like I actually like the idea of like limited series um, and limited not in the fact of it's like limited in the fact that they're short seasons, quote unquote, but yet mm-hmm. uh, more. So it's not limited in the sense of number of seasons. But overall, I think it's going to be good. Um, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to prejudge something. I like the timeline of it. I really would have I really liked though a bit more looking at the world of where the Empire isn't seen as the villain in the galaxy. Yeah. I feel like this one it's gonna be that. But I kind of like the like before it was like oh yeah, Bale is part of the part of the Empire and he's trying to work in it. And I was like oh that's really cool. Yeah. Because um, here like I mean Obi Wan they didn't actually like. They weren't trying to just oppress civilians. This was like a Darth Vader personal hunt against um, against Obi Wan. Yeah. So I liked it. I I think that I kind of like that idea. I don't think it's any presence. I hope they kind of have some ideas of like I really like that little I don't know like mole guy who uh who was a big fan of the Empire had the Empire bumper sticker on his farming tractor or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> And I'll be honest, I did not understand how his voice worked. I was like, he like opened this mouth. I was like, I don't picture that mouth being able to make those voices. Anyway, but um, but I really like that. I thought it was cool. Of like, hey, you know, people like the Empire. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a different place in the timeline that that this is the recently elected Empire that uh, people have essentially voted Palpatine in for, right? Uh, with with giving him emergency powers and being able to do what he wants with the galaxy. And um, like Ellen, Ellen said, I mean, with a thunderous applause, like people welcome the empire first. Right. And this is a, this is a slightly different time, I guess, flashing forward to, you know, a couple of years before rogue one leading up into it. So this is, I guess it's after Kenobi, but um, I think there's a lot more grumbling people out there now at this point. And, uh, you know, the rebellion is starting to take place already with, with rebel cells here and there. And, uh, now this is kind of the focus of, um, very spy espionage. They always bring up that, that genre when they talk about this show. And, uh, I always loved the whole Jason Bourne, you know, 007. I don't know if this is like full on like that, but, uh, the vibes that you get from those movies is, is kind of the same idea that this show is targeting. And I love that idea because it's not been done in Star Wars before, really. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's supposed to be definitely it's going to have that gritty vibe that Rogue One had. It's also being targeted at the, uh, the same uh, audience that loved Rogue One to begin with. So um, Andor certainly uh, is certainly shaping up. You know, after I saw the trailer, I had high hopes and, you know, I've, I've de- I'm definitely looking forward to it as well. So is there mm-hmm. anything you guys want to bring up before we wrap up here? I'm just excited to figure out what the deal is with the hammer guy at the beginning of the trailer. Cal- Calabrimbor. Really you, you... Cal- that's right, Calabrimbor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really hope they make a solo too eventually. Uh, completely not related. I just, I was just something that needs to get out there. Needs to be said. <laughs> well, I mean, that Lando series is still on the roster. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but they announced it like a year and a bit ago, I think, uh, as part of their one of their big, huge Lucasfilm reveals and, and uh, nothing's been said about it yet. But um, I believe Kathleen Kennedy has only mentioned that Donald, sorry, is it Donald Glover? Glover. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Is supposed to return and play that character again. That'd be cool. I always liked him a lot. 
yeah, I liked him. Maybe we'll pick up uh, with that story on when he loses the Falcon. Now he, now he needs to find a new ship. <laughs> yeah, that could work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Ellen, is there any last things that you want to bring up? No, I think it was Obi-Wan was a great series. The prequels are underrated and need to be appreciated more. Yes. And uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm thankful that um, uh, you guys were able to come on and join us on the show. I mean, we, we've definitely had a great time chatting tonight. And uh, um, I, I love the fact that we were able to talk for nearly uh, in two hours of just about our love for uh, episodes one, two and three and uh, our excitement for the stuff around the corner and, you know, look back at Obi-Wan Kenobi. So thank you guys for coming on the show. And I yeah, uh, thank you so on. much. I guess, of course, we, we will. Um, and, and Blake, uh, you got your line coming up here, but yeah, I guess we'll see. We'll see you all uh, in another episode in the future, and uh, Blake, we'll see you in the next one. Sounds good. And remember, keep flying. All right, and thank you, huge thank you to uh, our listeners at home for, of course, tuning into this show. Um, and uh, I guess uh, Ellen's faced with a bit of a decision whether or not she'll listen to this two-hour episode again. <laughs> Being one of our number one listeners, I'm sure she will. Um, and uh, big thank you to our, our guest tonight, uh, special guests and co-host, our, our co-host Blake, uh, for coming on every week. And uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a fantastic time running this uh, podcast over the last um, couple of years now. It's been, it's, the time has flown by. We're now uh, uh, well past the, the 200 mark. And we look forward to the next uh, 93 or 92 that we have before we hit 300. Uh, so uh, to all of you guys who've been sharing our show, uh, dropping those five-star reviews and uh, leaving a couple nice words on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever, huge thank you to you. And, uh, you know, keep up the great, uh, the great help. Uh, you guys can always uh, follow us on uh, Twitter at SWSK Podcast. Um, I run that account specifically as well as the Instagram and uh, you get notified of uh, new podcast releases as well as uh, just the daily Star Wars thoughts. Um, feel free to send in a voicemail to our SpeakPipe address, which is listed in the description of every podcast in the bottom. Uh, also, feel free to join the Discord. There's a link down there to do that. Our email is SWSKPodcast at gmail.com. Any links that I mentioned in the episode will be down there with it. And um, just to talk about uh, the new upcoming uh, episode we'll have next week on the show, I believe it's our deleted scenes for the anthology films. So make sure you tune in for that as well. May the force be with you guys. And we'll see you next time on Star Wars Escape Pod.